Well, thanks for having me again uh, this morning with you at Trinity Church Unley. Uh, great to be with you, even if only in this uh, virtual sense. Uh, still fantastic that we can come together and uh, think together about uh, what the scriptures have to say to us. Uh, we really appreciate here at Bible College SA the partnership we have with you guys at Trinity Unley. Uh, We share a building uh, and we share a common ministry uh, shoulder to shoulder for the gospel of Jesus uh, and we're just delighted to be able to do that alongside you and with you together. Today uh, we're going to be thinking together about the big biblical questions of wealth and poverty Uh, and they really are big questions right they're they're big questions for everyone in every time at every place at at some way or another uh, we all spend some time thinking about wealth, thinking about poverty, uh, thinking about money, and uh, that's a big part of all our lives. It's a big part of the lives of communities, it's a big part of the lives of societies and nations, is our financial position and how we are with money. Uh, it's also a really big part of what we find in the scriptures. So it would be very difficult, I think, to read through the Bible and to not realise that wealth how we use wealth, poverty, those in need, uh, is a huge part of the Bible story. It comes through again and again in many places. Uh, and I would, in fact, say you can't really read through the Scriptures and say that you've done business with the Word of God unless you've done business with questions around money, wealth, poverty. Uh, it's really just too much in there to ignore. What we're going to do today is try and synthesize some of that teaching from the scriptures. We're not going to take just one passage and move through it as an expository sermon and as we might do as we were going through a book of the Bible, but we're going to do this by uh, drawing some of the big ideas out of the Bible, answering some big questions, and uh, hopefully setting a framework for thinking about money, thinking about wealth, thinking about poverty. Uh, When we do this, no doubt there'll be lots of questions unanswered. I won't be able to cover everything. Uh, But the hope is we'll be able to put a few pegs in the sand, uh, set a few good kind of base points so that we have a framework for our thinking. Um, I also want to say that I'm going to ask a few big questions as we go through, a few big practical, personal, applied questions, uh, and I'm not going to answer them. Uh, That is, I'm going to leave them as questions that each of us will have to wrestle through on our own, uh, prayerfully, Uh, with those uh, around us that we trust and who can help us think about what faithfulness is going to look like for us. So with all that, uh, let's uh, begin. And I want to begin by actually just thinking of uh, what some of these terms mean, uh, uh, some definitions that will be useful to us as we address what the Scriptures says. Um, What I'm not going to do is give you kind of formal technical definitions that come from economic theory. Um, that's, that's out of my league, and that's not really exactly what we're trying to do here. We want practical, uh, simple understandings that we can all latch hold of uh, that will help us as we have a common conversation about wealth and poverty. And so that's where we start. What is wealth? What is poverty? What does it mean to be rich or to be poor? Well, uh, here's the definition that I think is most useful for us to run with. I want to say that being wealthy is having more than I need. And being poor is having less than I need. Pretty simple. To be wealthy is to have more than I need. To be poor is to have less than I need. I also want to say that biblically, neither of these things is held up as being particularly good. Neither of these things is, is if you like, the ideal. 
Uh, rather, the Bible looks for a place that's somewhere in the middle. Uh, and it's captured well, I think, in Proverbs chapter 30, uh, verses 8 and 9. Let me read to you from there. Proverbs 38 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. On the one hand, if I have too little, I might become desperate. And in my desperation, I might sin. I might steal something and sin against God. That's no good. But on the other hand, if I have too much, I might become arrogant and proud and believe that I don't need God. I've worked out my own security. I've got my own life sorted and my money looks after me. I don't really need God that much. That's a very dangerous place to be, actually, and it's one of the great risks and the dangers of money. Uh, We hear something similar to this uh, when we get to the New Testament, 1 Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, um, chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. Let me uh, read to you from there. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money is very dangerous. It's something that the Bible warns us against, particularly because of the spiritual impact it can have in taking us away from God. No, far better to be back with Proverbs 30 and to be in that place where we have neither poverty or riches but just our daily bread. That daily bread language is great. It's used in lots of places in the Bible. It's obviously drawn from uh, Exodus chapter 16 where the Israelites who are wandering in the wilderness are daily fed the manna, the bread from heaven by God. And it's enough for each day but never enough to stockpile. That's the image here. Uh, This is exactly the same uh, language that will be be picked up by Jesus as well uh, when he gives us the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Enough for today, not poverty, but we need to pray for it each day, not a stockpile, not riches. This middle space. So uh, this is a helpful way to start, I think. What is wealth? What is poverty? Wealth is having more than I need. Poverty is having less than I need. It does, of course, drive us, though, to the immediate question, well, what do I need? What are my needs? And particularly, what are my needs versus my wants? Uh, They're really good questions, hard questions. We're going to come back to them in just a moment. Uh, But before we do that, I want to just uh, put one more definition on the table for us. Uh, And it's the question, or the the word I want to define is is money. What is money? You think, that's that's kind of an odd thing to ask, isn't it? At at the one level, it's super obvious. But then you stop and you think, no, actually, that's quite hard, isn't it? Uh, Intuitively, we all know what money is. But then at the same time, it's profoundly abstract as an idea. Uh, Again, I don't want to give you any economic theory here. That's not what we're doing today. But just a practical, usable, everyday kind of definition that we can work with. Now, I think it's helpful for us to think about money as a, a transferable store of wealth, or or an an indication of what we value. Uh, uh, Let me tell you what I mean. When you think about, say, $20, $20 doesn't really mean anything in itself. 
But we know what $20 has the value of. It has the value of a decent bottle of wine. It has the value of a movie ticket. It has the value of a pair of shorts or a haircut or an hour of babysitting or an investment towards safe water in a developing community. We speak of $20 to to identify the, the kind of common value that these things share. But money's a bit more than that too, or money does more than that too. Uh, it's not just that money sort of stores and signifies value. The way we use our money, the way each one of us uses our money, shows what we value. It reveals what we value. I buy the wine. You buy the movie ticket. You get the haircut. You get the pair of shorts. Hopefully someone makes the investment in water in the developing country. These things are all notionally worth about $20, but they're not equally valued by all of us. And the way each of us uses our $20 reveals what we value. Money shows something of what's important to us. And that's really important for us to remember, and it will become something we want to think about more uh, as we keep going. So now let me ask a big question, a hard question. Why does God make some people wealthy? Why has God made some people wealthy? Some people are wealthy, some people have more than they need, clearly. Why did God make those people wealthy? Well, one common answer that I think we may not say out loud, but we sometimes think in the back of our heads, that's probably not a great answer, is God makes us wealthy just because he wants to bless us with material stuff. God makes some people wealthy just because he feels like those people, I've just decided in my grace, in my benevolence, to let those people have better stuff than other people. Uh, I just wanted certain people to be able to have luxury Italian sports cars. I wanted uh, certain people to be able to have overseas holidays, while other people have to drive old bombs and other people can only go camping for their holidays. I just wanted some people to have nicer stuff than other people. Well, there's kind of probably a, a, a little bit of truth in there somewhere, but I think it's probably a confused way of thinking about it. Go back to what we said about money. Money doesn't just have value, money shows what we value. And of course, God hasn't really given that many people luxury sports cars or overseas holidays. God has given people money and they have chosen what to spend it on. See, if I use the money God's given me to buy a Ferrari or a Maserati, or I use it to go to Italy, that shows what I value as much as what God wants for me. And I think that's a helpful distinction. Because I could equally have used that money to feed the poor, to support a missionary, to invest in green energy, to refurbish a community hall, to seed fund a new church, whatever it is. That is, what I end up with is a result of my choice as much as God's intention. So to say that God makes some people wealthy just because he wants them to have nice stuff, I suspect is not a fully adequate answer. But there are some better answers. And the first one is this. I suspect God makes some people wealthy simply so that they can be agents of blessing to others in ways that bring glory to God. I suspect God makes some people wealthy so they can be agents of blessing to others in a way that brings glory to him. 
Now, this is, of course, just the completely standard Christian view of gifts, which is the totally upside-down view compared to what most of the world thinks. Uh, whatever the gifts are, be they money or talent or opportunities, Christians think of them a bit on their head, right? When the world would say, when I get stuff, that stuff is for me, right? That's how it works. I get stuff, that stuff is for me. That's what happens at Christmas. That's what happens at my birthday. People give me stuff. That stuff is for me, right? But the Christian view is opposite. The Christian view is, when I get stuff, it's for others. Uh, God has given me certain talents. Uh, they're to use to bless others and to glorify him. God has given me certain opportunities. They're for me to take to bless others and glorify him. God has given me a certain amount of money. That's to bless others and glorify him. The money in my bank is not just for my pleasure. It's not just for me. It's to bless others and to glorify him. We see this all through the Bible with some of the, the great examples of people who deal well with their wealth. Think of people like Boaz in the book of Ruth, who has so much and uses it to bless others and bring glory to God. Think of the good Samaritan who uses what he has to bless another and to bring glory to God. Uh, but of course... Think of Jesus himself. Think of Jesus himself. The reading that we heard earlier uh, was from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 uh, is the most extended passage on money and what we should do with our money in the whole New Testament. Uh, and in that passage, though we're not going to go through it now, in verse 9 we saw this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus used his riches not for himself, but to bless others, and it brings glory to God. It's Christ-like for us to think of what God has given us that way. It's Christ-like. Uh, and in fact, that leads us to another reason that God might make some people wealthy. He makes some people wealthy in order that they have extra opportunities to grow in Christ-likeness. It gives extra opportunities to grow in generosity, to grow in sacrifice, to grow in those things that are so Christ-like. The more money we have, the more God is giving us opportunity to grow into Christ-likeness through blessing others. It's interesting when you look at uh, one of the famous uh, parts of the scriptures that talks about treasure and, and things we value. Um, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 26, verse 21, uh, says this. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now the thing about this verse is I think we often read it backwards. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think we read it backwards. And we read it as though it says, where my heart is, that's where I'm going to put my treasure. Where my heart is, that's where I'm going to put my treasure. I will invest in what I love. The problem with reading it backwards is, that's terrible. If it says, where my heart is, that's where I'm going to put my treasure, then what it's saying is, because my heart is for Italian sports cars and overseas holidays... That's where I'm going to put my treasure. And the Bible says that's right. No, no, that's terrible. My heart is selfish. My heart is interested in me. My heart seeks my own glory. I need to have 
let the Spirit do that transformative work on me and see what, uh, see how I can use what I've been given, not just to bless others, but to grow in Christ-likeness. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The idea is that where you invest your treasure, your heart will chase after that. Your heart will grow in that direction. Uh, so, for example, um, if I drop, say, $10,000 in a really boring tech stock, suddenly I care quite a bit about really boring tech stocks. Interesting. If I drop $10,000 in my local mission society, suddenly my heart has more of an active concern for what's going on in that local mission society and God's purposes there. Do you see that the way we use our money can actually train our hearts? Our actions can lead our hearts to be more Christ-like, more focused on the things that God wants us to be focused on. Where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. The implication is, so put your treasure in the place you want your heart to go. Uh, this, of course, comes on the back of uh, immediately preceded by Matthew six nineteen and 20. Now, so let me read to you just the, the fuller few verses. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How can you store up treasure in heaven? By making heavenly investments with your earthly treasure, which will result in a heart growing in concern for heavenly things and a heart that will be satisfied when you reach heaven and see those things fulfilled. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So, why does God make some people rich? Because being rich can actually be good for us. It can be good for us as we grow more into the people that God wants us to be by becoming more Christ-like as we're more generous and sacrificial in our blessing of others to the glory of God. And of course, God makes some people rich just so that others will benefit in the way that Christian gifts work. He gives us things for the benefit of others. Well, I just want to say uh, as a little side note here, but really important. Uh, as we're thinking through all of this, please don't buy the lie that you need to be wealthy to be happy. Please don't buy that lie. That is categorically untrue. You do not need to be wealthy to be happy. Post Malone is rich and sad. Uh, the Journal of Nature of Human Behavior uh, found that, or reported, that uh, households with an income greater than $95,000 had lower levels of life satisfaction and well-being. Columbia University found that childhood depression and anxiety were at twice the US average for families who earned more than $170,000. On the other side, the World Values Survey found that Nigeria was the world's happiest nation, despite the fact that it ranks 142nd out of 194 in terms of wealthy countries. It's very poor and the happiest country in the world. 
And now there's a lot of reasons why this happens, but all of this shows us one thing is true. Money is not the key to happiness. Money does not make you happy. The truest, deepest, uh, most lasting peace and joy that you can have does not come from wealth. It comes from knowing Jesus and from giving your life to him. That's the source of happiness. That's the source of the deepest joy. Please don't get that wrong. Uh, again, I just want to give you another great example of this. It comes again from that passage in uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, the first part of it. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's holding up to them uh, this example of the Macedonian churches. That is the churches uh, of Thessalonica and Philippi. Uh, and we can't unpack all this in detail, but I just want you to hear this again and see how much of what we've been saying is true uh, and is reflected in these verses. Here's Paul. He says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Now again, there's a lot in there, and we won't go through it in detail, but I encourage you to look at that passage more closely, uh, spend some time reflecting on it. And please notice that what you have here is uh, the people of these Macedonian churches with profoundly generous hearts, but those hearts are gifts to them. It's a gift from God that they have these generous hearts. And notice they have enormous joy despite poverty. And notice that their joy comes from giving, participating in the work that God is doing in the world. This is part of the fullness of their lives before God. It brings them joy. Uh, they're a remarkable example to us of the right way to think about wealth and poverty. Well, why does God make some people rich is the first question. The second question I want to ask uh, gets down to, I guess, the pointy end of things. And the question is this. Are you wealthy? Am I wealthy? Are we wealthy people? Well, there's, there's a couple of ways to answer this question. Uh, and one of them will come back to uh, what we flagged earlier, which is the distinction between needs and wants. Well, I'd have to call myself rich if I have more than I need. Uh, the question is, do I have more than I need? Uh, am I just meeting my needs with what I have, or am I also indulging lots of my wants too? How do you define what's a need and what's a want? Well, not all people will agree on this, and it's true, I don't think the Bible gives us a really rigidly clean-cut answer to that question, but it gives us some pointers. 1 Timothy uh, 6.8 is a good starting place. Uh, Paul talks about having uh, food and clothing and being content with that. That is the basics. Food and clothing and I'm content. Uh, we might uh, expand that to say, well, uh, shelter perhaps, uh, utilities, um, maybe health care, maybe education, just the basics. 
then we should be content. Well, of course, you've got to keep asking how far does your list of the basics go, but uh, you also then have to ask this tricky question, don't you, about standards. What do we mean when we say this? Like, to have food and clothing and be content, well, by food do you mean rice and lentils? Or do you mean smashed avo and $20 bottles of wine? By clothing, do you mean, you know, a couple of pairs of second-hand jeans from uh, the op shop? Or do you mean uh, fast fashion from the high street that's uh, turned over every season? For shelter, do you mean, you know, a, a, a derelict shack with no insulation, but it does keep the rain off? Or do you mean a six-bedroom, four-bathroom McMansion? For education, do we mean up to year 12 at a public school? Or do we mean private schools and two university degrees? Well, here's where I'm not going to give you the answers. These are questions that we need to ask. These are questions that we need to consider prayerfully. Uh, what, What I want to say, though, is please don't go down this line. Please don't say, wow, they're complicated questions, so it doesn't matter if we don't come to an answer. Or they're complicated questions, so any answer's fine. That's a little bit of a cop-out. I want to say, no, wrestle with these questions properly and ask, what are our needs and what are our wants? We can't really brush aside those kinds of questions if we want to consider how wealthy we actually are. The second way to answer that question, though, apart from thinking about needs and wants, is just to keep this in mind. By most standards, many of us Aussies would just have to see ourselves as wealthy. We just would have to see ourselves as wealthy. In fact, in terms of median wealth per adult, Australia ranks as the second richest country in the world. Now, there are other ways to uh, measure the wealth of nations. Uh, That's fine. But any of them, all of them, you will find as you look at them, Australia is right up there at the top. Now, of course, there are people in Australia who are poor. There are people in Australia who don't have uh, everything they need. And we must never forget that, and we must never overlook them, and we must never uh, forget the fact that our society has great inequalities in it. But if we're thinking about ourselves, we want to ask, given these questions about needs and wants, given our country, um, the, the reality is many of us are actually have to see ourselves as wealthy. I certainly have to accept that I'm wealthy. I'm a wealthy person by historical standards and by world standards. And if I come to that conclusion, and if I accept what we've already said, that God has given me money so that I might steward it and use it to bless others, and because uh, he wants me to use that money as uh, giving me opportunity to grow more Christ-like, we come, I guess, down to the tin tax, the practicalities. And this is really where I want to leave you. Uh, I want to give you uh, just some thoughts to answer the very on-the-ground, rubber-hits-the-road questions of, okay, what should I do with my money? What should I do with it? I want to suggest five things, all from the Scriptures, and I want to give them to you in, I think, what is roughly the right order. Five things that I think Christians should do with their money. first one is look after your family. Look after your family. Uh, 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says, 
Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Uh, Their relatives, and especially their household. The idea is that those who are closer to you, you have a greater responsibility to provide for financially, and to not do that makes you an unbeliever, uh, makes you worse than an unbeliever. Now, I want to be really careful as we read this. This is not saying anyone who doesn't indulge their family, spoil their family, buy their family every treat, give them every indulgence. It's not saying that. Uh, It's not talking about that level of kind of uh, luxurious overindulgence. It's just saying to provide for their family. And I think that just means to not neglect them in their basic needs, to make sure they have their food and clothing and shelter. That's the first priority, to provide for our families. Not to indulge them, but to provide for them. The second thing that uh, I think the scriptures call us to do is to support our church workers. To support our church workers. It comes actually from the same chapter, 1 Timothy 5, but this time uh, verses 17 and 18. Yep. Both the sun and the car. I can only record for 30 minutes, so then it's just start again, that's all. Oh, do we go for 30 minutes? Well, the camera's been recording for 30 minutes. Okay. So we're getting probably about 28 or something like that. Oh, is that right? I'm sorry, I thought I had it down to 20. You're all good. Okay. Well, I'm good. It sounds great. It's really hot. I'm right at the end, so. I feel free to edit it down. Sorry, I don't. No, 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 it's terrific. Okay. And it's probably re recording for longer than. um... Yeah, okay. Okay, I'll start just from number one again, just for the sake of consistency. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This will go quick as well, please. That's good, it's terrific. Okay. Okay. I always wonder who live in there, because they've got this really nice house. But they're kind of petrol heads. Like, they've got a few cars that are like that, and they, you know... Anyway. Have you met them before? No, I haven't. The family on the other side, I went with, um, with an older couple. I think their son I went to school with. Okay. Fields. Okay. Okay, tell me when. Number one, look after your family. Uh, Now we get this from 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, Anyone who does not provide for relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So the picture there is providing for relatives and especially the household. The idea being that those closer to you are those you have a greater responsibility to provide for. And to not provide for them uh, puts you in a category worse than an unbeliever. Please note, however, what this doesn't say. It doesn't say you should spoil your household, you should indulge them, you should give them every luxury and treat and uh, the most materially blessed life possible. No, it doesn't say that. It says you should provide for them. And again, I assume that means provide the basics. Food, clothing, the basics that are needed for life. So the first thing we need to do is to provide, look look after our family, provide for our family. 
The second thing, same chapter actually, is support your church workers. Support your church workers. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are well worthy of double honour, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. We are required to provide financially for those who labour spiritually among us, uh, those who work in our churches. Uh, I think if a, church ingre- if a church agrees to employ staff, to put people on their payroll, then the church must hold the responsibility to ensure that they are paid. Third, we have to remember the Christian poor. Remember the poor uh, generally, actually, uh, but perhaps with a particular focus on the Christian poor. We see this in uh, Galatians uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. This is Paul speaking, and he says, James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. Uh, Paul's priority here is on evangelism, mission. Uh, They've split up the world between uh, Gentiles and Jews, uh, and that's great. Paul and, um, sorry, uh, James and Peter and John have agreed on this plan. But in the midst of this kind of enthusiasm for evangelism, the requirement is do not forget the poor. Uh, It certainly will not do to believe that caring for the poor is a distraction from gospel work or in any way opposed to gospel work. No, uh, on this one, we really have to learn how to walk and chew gum at the same time. We must care for the poor while advancing the gospel. That seems to me inescapable in the scriptures. The fourth thing is we must advance strategic gospel work. Advanced strategic gospel work. Uh, let me read to you from Romans uh, chapter 15, verses 23 and 24. This is Paul again uh, speaking to the Roman Christians this time. Uh, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through, and that you will assist me on my journey there, after I've stopped for you, stopped after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Beg your pardon. So, uh, Paul's plan is to take the gospel to new lands, strategic new lands, places where the gospel hasn't been heard before. He's working out a ministry strategy to increase the impact and the footprint of the gospel, and he wants the Roman Christians to pay for it. He's saying, "I'm going to pit stop with you, and I want you to support me in this work." And we need to be doing the same. We need to be thinking about what's going to push the gospel out, what's going to help grow the gospel and deepen the church. What are the strategic ways we can do that? We need to support that work. And then lastly, uh, very simply, we need to just do generally good deeds that bring glory to God. I'll just take you back to the Sermon on the Mount to finish up Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 14 through to 16. You are the light of the world, A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Now that doesn't speak directly about wealth or poverty or money, but it says what our lives should be about. It says what we should be all about. And if our money, if our wealth enables us to do that, then that's what we should put it towards. Blessing other people with what we have to the glory of God and so that we become more the people that God has called us to be. So as I said, there's probably a whole lot there that is unanswered. There's a whole lot we haven't covered. But my hope and my prayer is that we've had a, a quick but a balanced look at what the scriptures say about wealth, what they say about poverty, and what they're saying to us as to who we should be and what we should do with the things that God has blessed us with. I trust that's really helpful for you as you consider thinking about the ways that you follow Jesus and seek to bring glory to his name. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for the scriptures and for what they teach us about who you are and who we are before you. And thank you for this teaching on wealth and on poverty and on money. And we pray, Father, that you would help us understand these things, but uh, not only ponder them deeply, but put them into practice, that we might be a blessing to those around us, that we might not be selfish, and that uh, we might further your purposes for your world and even further your purposes for us as we grow more Christ-like in sacrificial generosity and dependence. We pray in his name. Amen.